Good morning. Today's reading is from John 7, 37 through 52. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Believe is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to John. And the title of this weekend's message is What You Need Most. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 7. We're looking at verses 37 through 52. Also grab your sermon notes out. Let me begin by saying, what you think you need may not be what you really need. What you think you need may not be what you really need. And the reason I said that is because we often confuse felt needs with with real needs. Do you guys know the difference between felt needs, real needs? Felt needs are often symptoms and real needs are root issues that are the cause of those symptoms. I mean, uh, for instance, let me give you a couple of statements here that are true. I believe they're true because I understand what the Bible teaches, but it's there, it's there on your notes up on the screen probably behind me. All human problems are symptoms. All the sin and suffering on this planet Earth are symptoms, and our separation from God is the cause. Our rebellion against God is the cause. Does that make sense? So, so what do we need to do? Help people get reunited with God to know God. Here's another statement that's true for those of us that are believers. Most of our problems after being reconciled to God are symptoms of our failure to think out the implications, the deep implications of the gospel in every area of our life. So whatever problems you might have as a believer, it's because you're, you're failing to take the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for you and apply it specifically to where your heart is most restless or wherever you have the most of your problems because his truth will bring freedom to our lives. Let me give you kind of some examples of uh, the difference between felt needs and real needs. Felt need, I need to get my kids to behave better. Real need, I need to see more clearly how my father in heaven lovingly parents rebels like me. Felt need, I need to be a more generous person. Real need, I need to be captivated by the generosity of the Father in giving his son for me. Felt need, we need to resolve our marriage problems or we will crash and burn. Real need, we both need to be overwhelmed by the unconditional love and liberating truth of the Father for us. Felt need, I need to stop being so uptight, anxious, and worried. Real need, I need to rest in my 
Savior's perfect love, infinite wisdom, unlimited power that is always working for my good and his glory. Felt need, I need to stop waking up grouchy in the morning. Real need, I guess I'll just have to let her sleep in. That was totally uncalled for. Who wrote that one in there? So you guys know the difference between felt needs, real needs. And so here's where we're headed with this study. What do we need most? What do we need most? That's the first question we're gonna answer. I believe this text answers for us. How do we receive it? How do we get it? And then what difference will it make in our lives? It's all right here in the text. I love God's word. (laughs) And so here we go. So what do we need most? Verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit. What did he say? So he starts off by saying, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what he just said. And then he goes on to explain what he's talking about there in verse 39. He says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So he's just saying, this is all talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For as yet the spirit had not been given, that, that's odd because I, I mean, I remember reading in the Old Testament where the Spirit was working in people's lives. For, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, we'll talk about that. We'll kind of work through that. But here's what we need most. Here's what you need most. Here's your first fill in the blank on your notes, to be reconciled to God. That's what you desperately need most. This world is alienated from God because of our sin. We have rebelled against God. And so we need to be reconciled to God. Look at verse 39 again. At the very end of that verse, he says, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what does that mean when Jesus is glorified? Well, John 12, 23, we know throughout the Gospel of John, John constantly talks about the glorification of of Jesus. And Jesus says right here in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man, that is himself, to be glorified. He's talking about his death. He's talking about dying on the cross for our sins. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. What does that mean, being lifted up? It means that he's gonna be crucified for us. So in essence, he's reconciling the world to himself, that is, all of those that would believe in him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Maybe you're familiar with the, the, the first verse, 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Those that are in Christ have become a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And then he continues on and says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only have we been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, now we're able to share that with others that they can be reconciled also to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is not a greater thing that God could do for you than to reconcile you to himself. Think about that just for a minute. That through Christ Jesus, see otherwise we are alienated from God. As I stated at the very beginning, all of our problems are symptomatic of our alienation from God, our rebellion against God. And so we are desperate to be reconciled to God. And guess what? He provided a way for us to be reconciled through the shed blood of his son. He paid for our sins. He died in our place for our sins. That's amazing. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are now reconciled with God. That's, that's your greatest need. That's the greatest need of people in, on this planet. There is nothing greater that God could do for you than to reconcile you to himself. And that was his work he did for us. All we need to do is put our faith in Christ Jesus. So what do we need most to be reconciled to God? Here's the second thing we need most also. I think it's right here in the text. 
to be given the presence of God. So it's one thing to be reconciled, but it's altogether another, that's, this is an added benefit, is that we have the presence of God. And so uh, verse 39, once again, let's go back to that verse. Now this he said about the Spirit. So anytime you, you, you read about the Spirit, it's talking about the presence of God. Talking about the presence of God. So now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. What? As I stated, don't we see the Holy Spirit working in people's lives and around people's lives throughout the Old Testament? Yes. But the Spirit had not been given like this. This is the point that Jesus is making here. So the Spirit of God was very active in the Old Testament, but not like this. So if you want to do a, a, you know, go on... Um, one of your, get your Bible concordance out and look at spirit, the word spirit, and trace it throughout the Old Testament. You're gonna see the spirit certainly working. But what Jesus is saying, not like this. Not like this. You haven't seen anything yet. What I have in store for you is so much better. And so here's, here's what we need to understand, is that the same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact in Exodus 33:20, now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. It tells us in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. The next verse talks about how we are partakers of his divine nature. This is crazy. And so when you read through scripture and we continue to work our way through the Gospel of John, we see the disciples receive the Holy Spirit in John 20, 22. Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is post-resurrection, okay? So he breathes on them, they receive the Holy Spirit. And then we see the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter one. He says to them, before he ascends to heaven, he says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then of course you see that happen in Acts chapter two. Quite a, quite a phenomenon. Now, many theologians would call this the second experience with the Holy Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit and then we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. I would agree with him. So you can receive the Holy Spirit and you can have the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I would agree with them, but I would take it a little bit further. I believe that the second experience with the Holy Spirit should be an ongoing experience. And uh, as it tells us in, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 18, maybe you're familiar with this verse, he says, do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is just a kind of a life out of control or under the fluence of alcohol. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Live under his influence. Let him guide and direct and empower your life is what he's saying. And so when you think of that, always think about living in the presence of God. Anytime it talks about the Holy Spirit's work, think about this, living in the presence of God. It is, it, it, so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not when we talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it does not mean we get more of the Holy Spirit, but that he gets more of us. And so it is learning how to live in the presence of God. Now the Bible begins with God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and interacting and talking with Adam and Eve. So what did we lose when Adam and Eve failed and what did Jesus come to restore that we could live in the presence of God? That we could have interaction with God, that we would, that we would know God that we could experience what I call the manifested presence of God, not to be confused with the omnipresence of God. There's a difference between the two. We all know that God is omnipresent. Psalm 139 makes that very clear. But we're talking here about the manifested presence of God. So when God came back walking in the garden of the cool of the day, Adam and Eve hid. They were not hiding from the omnipresence of God. They were hiding from the manifested presence of God. So think about that, manifested presence of God, living in the presence of God. 
Now, let me give you an illustration that kind of helps you to understand the difference between omnipresence of God and, and uh, manifest presence of God. If I said there is a multimillionaire in this service, not just a millionaire, a multimillionaire, maybe pushing up towards a billionaire. And so his presence is among us right here. But if he got up and began to give every person $100,000, every person in here gets $100,000, he begins to hand it out to every one of us, he would be manifesting his presence. He would be making his presence known. Let's wait for a minute to see if a multimillionaire wants to manifest his presence. Any takers? I'm first in line. So here's, here's the point that I want you to understand. God wants to make his presence known in your life. That's what he's talking about here. You're gonna have an experience of the Holy Spirit unlike they did in the Old Testament. This is totally different, this is new, this is powerful, this is exceptional. God wants to make his presence known in your life. You can come to church, pray, read your Bible, and not be fully experiencing the presence of God. God wants us to live in his presence. I happen to believe this is the best part of the Christian life. Not only have we been reconciled to God, but we can live in the very presence of God. We can have interaction with him, we can know him, we can enjoy him, we can experience him in our lives. Regardless of whatever we're doing throughout the day, we can experience the presence of God in our lives. God wants us to live in his presence. God wants to work in you and through your life to lead and empower you in ways beyond what you could ever do yourself. This is what he's making available to us. Now, some of you only experience God's presence once a week when you come to church. Some of you don't even experience God's presence when you come to church because it has become more formality than reality. And I'm, I'm just telling you, you're missing out on the best part of the Christian life, living in the presence of God. So when you study about the Holy Spirit, it's, just, it's, he's, it's an invitation. Man, you can experience me, you can know me, you can walk in, in my power that I give to you. I'm always there for you, I love you. And so you have to develop over time this sensitivity to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now here's my question for you. How do we get away with making excuses about the mediocrity that too often characterizes our life? our lack of excitement, energy, and enthusiasm in the Christian life, our lack of love and joy and peace in all circumstances, our cowering to our problems and fears, our caving in to temptations and sins. When we can experience the presence of God in our lives, we can live in his presence. Now, can you see why this would be really the most important Thing. This is what you need more than anything. You need to be reconciled to God, and then you need to understand you can live in his presence. That is amazing. That is out of this world. And the more that I begin to practice his presence and cultivate that sense of living in his presence, oh my goodness, it's made a major difference in my life and how I respond to situations and circumstances and people and things. And, and, and for, certainly, I mean, I... I forget about that and I lose contact with that and then I find myself kind of acting out and, and doing and saying and thinking things that I, I shouldn't. But then when I get right back into that sense of his presence in my life, I'm reminded of what he is and who he is and what he's done for me. I'm telling you, it changes everything. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, praise God. Praise God for his presence in our life. There's nothing greater that God could do for you than to reconcile you to himself. And there's nothing greater that God could give to you than the gift of himself. Game over. That's it. What are you struggling with? I mean, that's what you need. 
This is what will get you through any kind of problems, any kind of difficulties, any kind of sin or suffering right here. This is it. This is more than enough. This is more than enough. Okay, so how do we receive it? That's the next question. And he answers that for us in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, before we go on to the next part, think about this. So, so Jesus is, first of all, kind of holding back. Remember, his, his brothers go to the feast before him, and his brothers are saying, come on. And he says, no, nah, not time for me to go, because we know that they're going to murder him. They're going to try to kill him. And this is where this hostility and anger is, is, is mounting. It's, it's growing against Jesus. So he's pretty strategic in his timing. And so he shows up to the feast. He teaches a little bit uh, to the people. But now, think about this. Talk about drawing attention to yourself. He cries out. And then he says, he stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, and then he continues on. We'll stop there in that text. So let me give you a little background here. In the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles is what it's called, the people would travel to Jerusalem to live in booths. What are booths? Anybody? They're tents. Yes, this is Hebrew camping. And this is to remind them of the wilderness wanderings for 40 years of their people and how God provided for them. And also by staying in tents, it was a reminder that this world is not their home. And so each day the priest would carry water from the pool of Siloam and pour it out from a, a golden vessel onto the altar to remind the Jews of God's miraculous provision of water from the rock in the wilderness. Remember, it's in Exodus, you can read about this on your own, Exodus 17. I mean, Moses and the people are at each other's throats, man. They're, the people are gonna wanna kill, they're wanting to kill Moses. They got some major crisis going on because they're, they're dying of thirst. And they're thinking, some leader you are. And so God provides a miracle and tells Moses to strike the rock. And out of that rock comes water. And, and we know based on 1 Corinthians 10, three through four, who is that rock? It's Christ, it's a picture of Christ. And that when he would be struck on the cross and provide living water for us, beautiful imagery. I mean, the whole Bible's about Jesus. And you got pictures throughout the Old Testament of Jesus pointing to Jesus. Just stunningly beautiful. And, and so that's, that's what he would do. And so it was after they had poured this water out, Jesus stands up and says, hey, this, all of this, this imagery, it's all about me. You're gonna get living water from me. So, so how do we get that? And he's talking about, really, he's, he's kind of defining for us a, uh, what it means to believe in him. And so he uses, there's three words, three kind of ideas in this text, in text 37. He says, if anyone thirsts, that's the first one, thirsts, so you have to have a thirst, the second one is you have to come to Jesus, and the third one is you need to drink. So if you wanna learn how to live in his presence, he's talking about how we do that. You gotta have a thirst, gotta thirst, gotta come to Jesus, gotta learn to drink. Pretty simple, pretty simple message here. So let's take this first one. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? First of all, thirst. And that thirst is really talking about something we've been talking about since the beginning of the year. Of course, we talk about this every year, but the, the, since the beginning of the year, we've been kind of walking through this, this inconsolable human longing. Everybody on this planet has an inconsolable human longing. Now, remember the woman at the well back in chapter four? We talked about that. Remember Jesus had showed up at this well, very tired from walking all day in a Samaritan area, region close to a Samaritan town. The disciples go in town for food. He's at this well. Out comes this woman to the well at noon, kind of an unusual hour, and because she's kind of wanting to avoid crowds because of her guilt and shame of her life. And so Jesus asked her for a drink, and she's shocked that he would ask her for a drink. And he says to her, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him, that is himself, for living water. And she's like, she doesn't get it because he's talking spiritual. She's thinking 
physical. And she goes, well, you don't even have anything to draw up water with from this well. How are you gonna give me this water? And this is what Jesus said, very profound. He says, drink of this water, pointing to the well, drink of this water and you'll be thirsty again. Drink of the water that I will give you and you will never be thirsty again. In fact, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Very similar to this, what we're talking about here. Out of your innermost being you will, will flow rivers of living water. And it's almost as if we could, we could write over every achievement, every accomplishment, every acquisition, every career pursuit, every marriage, every child, everything in this world, everything created, we could write over it. Drink of this water, you're gonna be thirsty again. But drink of the water that only Christ can give and you'll never be thirsty again. The problem is, is that we try to satisfy that inconsolable human longing with created things as opposed to the creator. And as we've said, when we try to find ultimate satisfaction in created things and don't, which we won't, there's three things that we do. Remember this, we've talked about it in the past. This is just a good refresher. In fact, this is what C.S. Lewis says. So we're seeking ultimate satisfaction in created things and we don't find it. We're gonna do one of three things. We're gonna find ourselves trying harder. This is what drives a lot of workaholism and perfectionism and a lot of the things that we do in life that we just throw ourselves into it to the exclusion of other things. So we try harder or we become bitter. We're just like Pfft. Or here's the third thing is that we realize that we were created for another world and that only Christ can satisfy the deepest longing of our heart. Now, now how do you know that there's this in, inner thirst within you? There, that, that thirst is within all of us. And if you don't get it satisfied in Jesus, you're gonna try to get it satisfied in, in creation somewhere. How do we know? How do we know that we have that thirst going on? Well, I know it in my own life when there's discontentment. And when it's, that discontentment shows its way through my inordinate negative emotions, I, I become bitter over the past, I complain about the present, I worry about the future. It's because that's an invitation to, from Christ to say, hey, you need to be satisfied in me. You're trying to find your satisfaction in anything and everything else. Come to me. Now here's the problem is that we tend to run from happiness high to happiness high to happiness high. And if we would pause long enough between all of our happiness highs, you guys know what I'm talking about, happiness high. Man, if I could just buy that car or that home or that relationship or get this much money in the bank or we're always striving for things and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is if we're looking to those things or people or circumstances to satisfy the deepest longing in our soul, it'll never happen. Once again, you'll find yourself trying harder or becoming bitter or realizing it dawns on you, whoa, I was made for another world. I was made to find my satisfaction in, in Christ. So you let those negative emotions drive you into his arms so that you can find your satisfaction in him. But you gotta pause long enough between those happiness highs and when you do, you will feel that inconsolable human longing, that thirst that only he can satisfy. You see, all you need is need. You wanna live in his presence? You wanna experience the joy of knowing him and walking with him? All you need is need. And a lot of people don't have that because they're trying harder or they become bitter. And it's their pride that keeps them from coming to Christ. All you need is need. Did you hear what Jesus said? Anyone who thirsts, that's to everyone. Come to me. So just as your body was made to live on water, your soul was made to live on Jesus, and so you need to come to Jesus. That's the next one. So thirst, come to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just have what our souls need. He is what our souls need. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Remember what Jesus said in the sixth chapter? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Oh my goodness. 
That's, that's quite a statement. What? Complete and total satisfaction in Jesus? Yeah. Hey, listen, you can chase whatever you want to chase out there, but only he can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. I mean, I, I think I say that every week here, don't I? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because guess who needs to be reminded of it? Everybody. I've got a front row seat. I think I needed it probably more than most. I find myself chasing all kinds of crazy stuff. I need it, you need it, we all need it. And so Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. Our souls were made for Jesus. This inconsolable human longing is an ache for Jesus. So to come to Jesus means to enter into a relationship with him. We acknowledge our sin. We believe that Christ died in our place for our sins and we confess him as our savior and Lord. We give our lives to him. It's, it's, it's about spending time with him, interacting with him. It's living in the manifested presence of God. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, you said the prayer, you got dunked in the tank, you know, maybe you signed the card, said, yeah, I committed my life to Christ, but it's more than that. It's knowing him, it's interacting with him, it's having relationship with him. That's what it means to come to Jesus. Living in the manifested presence of God, and then what you've got to do, this is where we struggle, we've got to learn how to drink. That's the third. So thirst, come to Jesus, drink. This is how we cultivate living in the presence of God. Now, you guys know what the GR is up there on the, oh, it's not up there yet. There it is. No, it isn't. We'll get it up there eventually. Oh, there it is right there. You see that drink, GR? What does that GR stand for? Greek. So this is the Greek understanding of that word drink. And it means this, to receive into the soul what serves to refresh, strengthen, nourish it unto life eternal. So how do we do that? We do that through spiritual disciplines. What are spiritual disciplines? Bible study, prayer, what you're doing right now. We're doing those things that would help us to refresh, strengthen, nourish ourselves unto life eternal. Now, we live in the desert, don't we? And sometimes I think we just need to be reminded. I was born and raised here. And how many love the heat? I mean, it's kind of heating up. It's starting to heat up. Anybody love the heat? Okay. How many can't hardly wait until it gets 110 plus? 50 days of 110 plus. Okay. There's some. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. 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 You guys are sick. And, uh, <laughs> and we're going to have a special prayer time at the end of the service just for you. So please come up. I'll lay hands on you. The rest will probably dogpile you. Okay. Just to, we'll make sure security is closed to make sure... But I've been, I'm born and raised here, and I still get tired of that heat. I mean, around August and then September, it's like, is this stuff ever going away? Okay, but this is what I've learned. And uh, when I work outside uh, around my yard and do yard work, if I don't hydrate myself before I go out there, you guys know what happens. You don't wait until you're thirsty to start drinking, do you? If, you? if you wait until you're thirsty, it's already, you're too far gone. You will never catch up. You can't drink enough water. In fact, that could easily lead to uh, um, heat cramps, heat exhaustion, that's the next level up, and then heat stroke where it will take you out. Heat stroke will kill you. Your whole body just shuts down because it's overwhelmed. But here's the point. You don't start hydrating yourself when you're already out there in the heat of the day. You do it before you get out there. And the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. I'm telling you, there's a heat wave coming into your life spiritually. And you better be hydrating yourself right now. You better be drinking from the living water. Because you're not going to survive it. It will take you out. It'll flat out take you out. And so you gotta be drinking every day. And then when the, the heat of circumstances and people and the things in your life begin to bear down on you, 
You can endure it. You can get through it because you're hydrated. You're, you're drinking from this river. The Holy Spirit is empowering you and strengthening you and with you. So don't wait to hydrate yourself before it's too late. In fact, this, what does that mean to drink? I, I think uh, best scripture, the best commentary for scripture is always scripture. Look, so let's just kind of walk our way through Psalm 63, 1 through 5. Let's just, uh, let's take a minute and kind of unpack this and see if this represents you. Do, do you feel this way? Are you experiencing this with your relationship with God? This was, is what would be called drinking. Drinking from this river says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. The word earnestly means I get up early and I'm pursuing you as the priority, the passion of my life. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So he's speaking kind of physically but also spiritually. Life is a dry and weary land. It's a desert. And what he's saying here is, this is a desire for God that exceeds all desires. So that's where it starts. So if you, have, if you are thirsty, you come to Christ and are drinking, it starts with this ferocious desire. And you begin to see that he's more desirable, he's more satisfying than anything else in life. That's what you see in that first section. Look at verse two. So what do you do with that? So I've looked upon you. So when you come to church, you're looking upon him. The, the Hebrew here, New Testament was written in Greek. Old Testament was written in what? Hebrew. So Hebrew, he's saying here, to see by experience. So I'm thinking about these songs that we're singing. I'm thinking about this text that we're reading and studying. To, to see by experience in the sanctuary. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, now this is the next step. This is where this goes from your head into your heart. Beholding your power and glory. Hebrew here is his power and glory gets a hold of you. So as you're reflecting on who Christ is and what he's done for you, then as you reflect more and more before long, it gets a hold of your heart. You're drinking it in. It satisfies those deep longings in your soul. This is the truth of God becoming real to your heart. And then look at verse three. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I hear him basking in the love of God, which is better than life. What does he mean that it's better than life? He's just saying no romantic love, no married love, no friendship love even comes close to this love. And he's basking. So when do you take out time to just bask in the love of God, oh my goodness, God, no one loves me like you. Oh my, when, I, when, I, when that gets a hold of my heart, it chases away all the fears of my life. Lord, let it get a hold of me. You just think about it. I lay in bed at night going to sleep, thinking and basking in his love. Oh my, God, thank you for sending your son to die in my place for my sins. Oh my goodness, while I, still, while I was still a sinner, you died for me. Oh man, Lord, thank you. I think about that, I tell him how much I love him. I worship him, I experience his love. That's drinking, it's worship, prayer, adoration. And notice the result, verses four and five. I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will, did you notice that? I like that. We, when we were in Sedona here about a week or so ago, that would describe a lot of our eating habits right there. Okay? My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. How many, when you go on vacation, you like to eat at nice places, restaurants, things like that? How many tend to bring that home with you and continue to do that, okay? Okay. But that's what he's saying. I said, oh my goodness, this is, there's a satisfaction. It's just like having a meal at a great restaurant. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I mean, he's lost in love, wonder, and praise. D does that ever happen to you? Because if it does, it's because you're drinking. You're experiencing his presence. 
C.S. Lewis puts it this way, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's, it's appointed consummation. So you could tell people that are, you know, when someone's enjoying something, they, they praise. Woo, is that good? Yeah, oh my goodness, that's amazing. So if you're not doing that as it relates to God, it's probably because you're not enjoying him. Praise will be just the natural overflow of that. That's what he's saying. That means that you're drinking. You see, worship and praise is enjoying of God's presence in your life. It tells us in Psalm 22, 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. And what does that mean? It means that he dwells in, he lives in, he makes himself known, he manifests his presence. Worship and praise is an indispensable part of living in God's presence. You're drinking. You're drinking in all that God is for you. So what difference will it make? This living in the presence of God. Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's telling us this is the difference it will make. When you live in the presence of God. Now notice that he says, as the scripture has said. This is a promise throughout scripture. That's your next fill in the blank. This is promised in scripture. We have 110 people in our How to Study the Bible class. Isn't that crazy? It's pretty amazing. And so people are wanting to know how to connect with God through, through Bible study, prayer. But there was someone in the class a couple weeks ago, they were saying, uh, we were talking about why is it important to study God's word? And this person said, because if you don't know God's promises, you can't, you can't take them to the bank. You can't, you can't claim them. And so you need to know God's promises so that you can live in the reality of those promises. But if you don't know them, you're on your own. And so here's, this is promised in the Bible. And, and here's just a couple places, but let me just read this one, Isaiah 58, 11. Listen to what it says. This is, this is beautiful. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. That sounds like here in the summertime. Doesn't it? Yeah. In scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. That's such rich language. I mean, you could just take a verse like that and just take it with you throughout the day and just mm, enjoy it. So this is promised in scripture that out of your heart, that's your next fill in the blank, Now, the word heart is used close to 900 times in the Bible. I would say it was really an important word, okay? And so what is the heart? It is the control center of your entire self. It is the storehouse of our commitments, deepest loves, most foundational hopes that control our thinking, feelings, and behavior. In fact, uh, let's put up that heart chart up there on the big screen. So here's, uh, I haven't seen this for a while. But take a look at this heart. So the Bible, 900 times it talks about our heart. This is what our heart is. And uh, it says in 423 of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else? Yeah. Yeah, because it it determines the direction in your life. It determines how you're going to feel and behave in response to life circumstances and people and things. Guard your heart. So Matthew 621, so here's our thinking. We tend to focus on felt needs, like, man, I gotta stop thinking like that. Oh, I'm just bombarded with all these negative thoughts. So we're trying to correct our thoughts, or we try to change our feelings. I shouldn't be feeling like this. We condemn ourselves for our bad feelings, anxiety, and anger, and depression, or our actions. Oh, man, I lashed out. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong of me. Those are felt needs. Here's your deepest need. What are you treasuring? Because it tells us in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. The reason why we have negative thoughts and feelings and actions is because of what we're treasuring. You wanna change your thoughts, feelings, and actions? Change what you're treasuring. It's a problem with worship. We are what we worship. We love, we, we are what we love and we worship what we love. So, so change what you worship. Now think about this. 
If you worship anything more than you worship Christ, when that thing that you're worshiping more than Christ is lost, you're not just gonna be sorrowful, you're gonna be in despair, and it's gonna have an impact on your thoughts, feelings, and actions. But if you worship Christ as your treasure, as your greatest pleasure, that any losses in your life won't have that same effect. You'll be sorrowful, but you'll never be in despair because you will always have what you most want, and that's him. That's why the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is that? Because you can be content in all circumstances if you're doing that because you will always have what you most want, and that's him. But if you put anything above him, so goes your heart. You want to change your thoughts, feelings, and actions? Change what you worship. And live in his presence. Believe me, it will make a difference in your life. And so that's why he says, out of your heart, that out of your heart, here's the next one, will flow rivers of living water. So water quenches your thirst, rehydrates you physically, cleanses your body, refreshes and invigorates you. So I think, he, I think that uh, Paul answers this for us. So what does that look like? If I'm living in the presence of God, what does that look like? Well, look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. We'll have it up on the screen here. And remember the verse where it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with spirit. So we're talking about, once again, spirit, living in the presence of God, be filled with the spirit. Notice the first one here. This is what will happen in your life. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's talking about edifying and healing community with others. Your life becomes a source of refreshment, strength, nourishment for others. So here's my question for you. Are you a fountain to people or are you a drain? Do people feel refreshed around you or sucked dry? If you're living in the presence of God, you will refresh others. Here's the next one, look at verse 19b. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You will have a song in your heart from the delight of living in God's presence. The presence of God will no longer be a concept, it will be a reality. And the joy of the Lord will overwhelm the rejection around you. You can take criticism, you don't have to fish for affirmation anymore, you don't have to only hang out with people who like you. I mean, you can, you can actually love your enemies when you're living in his presence. And then the next one, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a life of thanksgiving to God always and in everything. There goes boredom, no more boredom here. This is contentment. This is a contentment that your best days can't give you and your worst days can't take from you. Now listen, you're gonna have good days and bad days. I would rather have them both living in the presence of God. Make sense? And then 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a pouring out of your life in service to others. Why? Because Jesus emptied himself on the cross so that we can live in his presence, so that we can be full, and therefore out of that fullness, I can empty myself so that others may be full in Christ. Now. The next part of this, you can study on your own. I just, I filled in the blanks for you. Actually, there are no blanks, okay? They're just points, but let me just walk through it. So here's the barriers that will keep you from it. You see it in the rest of the text. Don't let divisiveness, scoffing, elitism, intimidation, false teaching keep you from the living water. That's what we see happening with these people. The answer was right in front of them and they miss it. The Messiah is right there to satisfy them, and they miss it. The answer was right in front of them. The guard said it, verse 46, listen carefully to what Jesus is saying, and then Nicodemus said it in 51. Look closely at what Jesus is doing. And if you come to Christ, as it says, John 7, 37, 38, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray, let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. So Father God, there's nothing greater that you could do for us than to reconcile us to yourself and there's nothing greater that, that you could give to us than the gift of yourself. You've accomplished both of these through the sending of your son 
to die in our place for our sins as we now celebrate in communion. So help us. Help us to be more aware of our spiritual thirst and to come to Jesus regularly and drink, satisfying our souls like nothing else. And may out of our our heart flow rivers of living water of joy and contentment and thanksgiving in all circumstances and a source of refreshment and strength to others. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. So they're gonna be passing out the communion elements, uh, grab a hold of them and hang on to them and I'll walk us through the process. Here's what I want you to be thinking. What is God speaking to you this morning? He's here. He wants you to interact with him. He wants you to know him. Maybe if you've never given your life to him, you want to, first of all, acknowledge your sin that separates you from him because you need to be reconciled back to him. And he's provided that way for you. Acknowledge your sin and believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and then confess him as Savior and Lord. And and at that moment, you've entered into a relationship with the God of the galaxies. And just what is God speaking to you this morning? What does he want to say? How does he want to transform your life? So what's the greatest thing that God could ever do for us is to reconcile us to himself. As we take these communion elements, that's what it represents. What's the greatest thing that God could ever give to us? Himself represented through these communion elements. I mean, what are you waiting for? You can live in the presence of God. There's nothing better. He's inviting us this morning to experience him in our lives, to have him lead us, guide us, empower us in ways that we could never imagine. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Next weekend, no condemnation. We're gonna talk about one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John. It's the woman caught in adultery. Oh my goodness. Jesus' response is out of this world. You gotta see it, it was, it's been life-changing for me as I've understood it more clearly. That's based on John chapter seven, verse 53, all the way to John chapter eight, verse 11. My wife and I will be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions about this message, I'd love to try to answer those for you. Let me bless you guys. And by the way, ladies, happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies. Praise God for you. Here's your blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys.